Okay, we're back. <clears throat> back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning, uh, picking up in verse 12, where we left off last week. And let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your, the scriptures you've given us, for the things that we can read about, and, and uh, learning about how you, uh, when necessary, uh, discipline us to get us back on the right course. And as we read here about Paul and how he's dealing with the, um, the ones who are leading factions in the church at Corinth, we just pray that we'll understand how you do uh, deal with them and how it, ultimately your, your goal is to restore us, and to get us back on the right course. And we just pray that you help us to see that now this morning as we, as we study this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to get for context uh, in chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 6 and read through the end of the chapter. Okay. Chapter 4. I have four. applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For there seems anything different in you, what you have that you did not receive. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Um, already you, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you all. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to those who, the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. Verse 10. Thank you. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. <coughs> go past. I didn't know where we're at. Oh. I'm at verse 13. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have any fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with that what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So last week we saw Paul really 
calling out the, the leaders of the different factions, the arrogance of, of them, and he's contrasting that with the humble circumstances of the apostles. And this is, I, I think Paul's exaggerating the two extremes here to make his point. Um, they, they consider themselves to be extremely wise and strong and, and glorious, not just when it says uh, distinguished, that was our word for glorious. Um, on the other hand, they considered the apostles to be fools, to be weak, to be without uh, honor. And so this is ridicule in a, in a sense, and it's, it's made to uh, destroy their illusions of grandeur, their greatness, and that will effectively, hopefully, end uh, their ability to lead the factions. <clears throat> So we began the section in, in verse 11 through 13 also where Paul describes the hardships and the sacrifices that the apostles have made. And so we're about halfway through that section. But he, he says, you know, we, we lack the, the necessities of life. We do not, a lot of times we don't have food, we don't have drink, we don't have clothing. Um, he says he's roughly treated. And we, you can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that's where he goes through this whole list of all the things he suffered, the beatings and stonings and uh, lashes and everything. Uh, he's given up having a home and a family in, uh, in order to serve as an apostle. And then finally, he says, we have to work to support myself and, and those with me. And the Greeks looked down on work. They were too sophisticated and too highly educated and too proper to work with their hands. And so the fact that Paul actually did work with his hands was considered uh, derogatory in a sense. So he's setting up this uh, contrast between those who are uh, arrogant leaders of these factions versus the true humility of the, the apostles. And uh, we got, uh, we started verse 12, where he talks about toiling with his hands. And then uh, we have after this three phrases where Paul, he doesn't just uh, list the difficulty he faces, but he also lists his response to it. So this goes the rest of chapter, or excuse me, verse 12 and the first part of verse 13. And so the first part in verse 12, he says, uh, when we are reviled, we bless. So when we're reviled or cursed, we bless in return. And this word for revile means to heap verbal abuse on someone. It's malicious in its intent. It's meant to hurt. This is not a common word in the New Testament, but it is used in other places. Let's go back to John chapter 9. This is the story of the man born blind. Jesus heals him. And the Pharisees are interrogating him to try to figure out what happened. So that's the background. In John chapter 9, and would someone like to read verses 26 through 28 for us? So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them. I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Okay, so they're getting a little hot here. 
you know, the man born blind is getting a little bit irritated because they keep asking him the same question over and over again. So he says, well, what's the deal? You want to be his disciples? So he's in sense insulting them and they revile him. That's our word. So they, they, they come back with a verbal abuse uh, to ridicule him and to hurt him because you know, that's the way they're responding to what he said. Um, let's turn then to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's see. Uh, the example of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2. Does someone like to read verses 21 through 23? For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, and leaving you an example, so that you might be following his steps. He committed no sin, and there was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Okay, verse 23, he was being reviled. You see that, you know, they ridiculed him. So you're the king of the Jews. You know, that's when they put the robe on him and the crown of thorns and beat on him and pretended to bow. And He was being reviled. He did not revile in return. He did not return the same thing back to them. Um, and still in 1 Peter, someone like to read cha chapter 3, but someone like to read verse 9 for us. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to you, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Okay, so we've been looking at the word for revile as a noun, or excuse me, as a verb. This is the noun form of the same word, and here it's translated insult. Do not return insult for insult. So instead of if someone insults us or reviles us, what, is this, what does Peter tell us we're supposed to do? Give them a blessing. Give them a blessing, right. And that's what Paul says here, when, you know, when he's reviled, he blesses. So where do you suppose they got this? I'm turning the other cheek. Let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Someone like to read verses 27 through 29. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Okay, bless those who curse you. That's what Jesus taught. Peter and Paul both learned that, and that's the way they operated. Uh, because they had learned it from Christ. Um, the word for bless is uh, interesting. It's the, the Greek word is eulageo. And that sounded awful like, like eulogy. It means to speak well. You bless, you speak well of someone. Um, and, and so that's where we get our word eulogy. So Paul suffers verbal abuse as an apostle. And he did not strike back verbally. He did not retaliate. He respond, responded instead with a blessing. Okay, second one. Back to chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, um, 
When we are persecuted, we endure. Um, the word for persecute is, is interesting because it, it basically means to follow, to follow someone. Today we talk about stalking. <laughs> you know, this is not just, you know, someone saying, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and they say, oh, you're some kind of idiot, you know. Um, it's not like a one-on-one -on -one thing. It's, this is someone who intentionally follows in order to persecute. You know, they're stalking the Christians. That's what persecute means. Um, not just someone who stops to heckle you. And this is what Paul did before he was converted. So let's go back to Acts chapter 9, and we'll see where he's confronted with this. Acts chapter 9, someone like to read verses 4 and 5 for us. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting you? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Okay, so Jesus, yeah. Jesus was no longer on earth, but his people were, and Paul was persecuting them, he, and he was persecuting Christ through them. Um, and then we also, let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Someone would like to read verse 13 for us. Galatians 1, 13. Okay, he persecuted beyond measure. He was a fanatic. He wanted to destroy the church. He chased down people. Remember, he on his road to Damascus, he'd gotten special permission from the uh, priests to go to Damascus and, and round up the Christians there. Uh, he was trying to destroy the church. So he who was once, once the persecutor now is being persecuted himself. So how does he respond? It says he endures. And this, this is an interesting word. It, it just means to put up with something. Something annoying. You know, it's, I, I would have expected um, a different word here that means to bear up under a heavy burden. But that's not the word he uses. He's, it's, the word is to put up with something that just, it's like, come on, guys. <laughs> Cut it out. Yeah. Let's, Let's go back to Luke chapter 9. Because it's, typically it's not used with reference to persecution. It's used with reference to a lot of other things. Luke chapter 9. Someone would like to read verse 41 for us. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. How long do I have to put up with you guys? <laughs> it's, you know, I don't know if Jesus was annoyed with their unbelief, but he was exasperated with it, I guess. Um, let's turn to Acts chapter 18. And if you remember, Acts chapter 18 is where Paul comes to Corinth. Acts chapter 18. Uh, Paul comes to Corinth, and of course there's opposition and... Uh, some of his buddies get hauled off to court. 
Acts chapter 18. Would someone like to read verse 14 for us? Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. It would be reasonable for me to put up with you, is the New American Standard. Here's, you know, here's the Roman... I'm so tired of you Jews. <laughs> Why do I have to put up with this? And he just kicked them out of court. You know, they had, a, they had brought Paul there because they had a, a judgment against them, but he just he said, I'm tired of putting up with you guys. Get out of here. Um, and finally, let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Well, not finally. <laughs> Ephesians, got I got one. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. I got one more after that. Ephesians chapter 4. This is, this is applicable to us. Verses 1 through 3. Would someone like to read those? And therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There okay. is one body, one Spirit, and just as you were called on, one hope that belongs to you, to your call. Okay, that's far enough. In verse 2, um, the New American Standard says, showing forbearance to one another in love. I, I don't remember what your version said. The New American Standard has tolerance. Tolerance, okay. Mine has humble. Humble, okay. In verse 2. He's talking to the church. He says, put up with each other. I know brother so-and-so is rather annoying, but put up with him. You know, because the, the unity of the body is a lot more important than being irritated with someone who's slightly annoying. You put up with it. You know, and we have to do that in the church. Because we're all sinners and we're all thrown together into one body. <laughs> and we all have our annoying habits. Um, and we have to just put up with that. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 has this very similar command. We don't need to look at it. It's in 3.13. But finally, let's look at 2 Thessalonians 1 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and would someone like to read verse 4? Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Okay, afflictions you endure. Okay, so here we have. It used in the same sense that Paul does. He's, they're being persecuted. They're, ha they're having difficulties. They have to put up with the difficulties. And they do this through their perseverance and through their faith. And the faith, the per word perseverance here, I think, is the one that means you bear up under. Um, but they endure it. And so that's what Paul says here. He endures the persecutions. Uh, he puts up with them because it's more important to continue with the ministry and spread the gospel. Okay, and then the third one, uh, get to the right place again, back in verse, this, this is the first part of verse 13. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. So the word translated slandered here is, is not that, the typical word in, you'll see 
in the um, New Testament for slander looks like blasphemy. It's blasphemo. You know, it's actually transliterated into English. That's not the word here. Um, this word is, see if I can pronounce it, dusfamiu, which sounds like defame. I think that's where we get our word defame from. So, you know, we, we hear about defamation suits, you know, where you, you know, the idea is you speak uh, to injure someone, to harm someone's reputation by slander. And so this is what we, we see, you know, again in, in, the, in the courts with defamation suits. Um, and this, this is the only place the word's used in the New Testament, just in one, this one place. And so this is what the Corinthians were doing to Paul. They were trying to defame him. They could take him to court for defamation. Um, in 1 Corinthians, let's look at chapter 10. So they're trying to ruin his reputation, and, and they use slander to do it, which is our word blasphemy. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, would someone like to read verse 30? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. Okay, so this has, this has to do with uh, eating meat that's been offered to idols. Um, so he's being slandered, and the point is to defame him. We don't have that word uh, here because it's only used that one place. Uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 10, 2 Corinthians 10, 10. Would someone like to read that? But they say his letters are weighty and strong, that his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Right. They're slandering him. <coughs> They're defaming him here. Um, and that's something, you know, if you're arrogant, the way you puff yourself up is, somebody, is by tearing down others. And that's what they were doing to Paul. They were trying to tear him down. They were defaming him. So, how does he respond? New American Standard says we conciliate. NIV says we answer kindly. English Standard Version says we entreat. And, and when all your English versions have different words here, it means... This is, one, this is one of those words that's kind of hard to describe in English. You're not supposed to fly off the handle, you're disrespected? <laughs> no. The, the Greek word here is perikaleo. Does that sound familiar? Paraclete? Who's our paraclete? The Holy Spirit. He's the one who comes alongside to help us, to comfort us. So this is, this is Paul basically carrying out the ministry of the Holy Spirit to these people who are trying to defame him. That's how he responds. He wants to, they try to injure Paul. He speaks to comfort, to encourage, to help them in return. And so, you know, we see in all these things, it's, you know, it's like Jesus said, you know, they slap you on the face, don't hit them back, you know, bless them. <laughs> they curse you, bless them. You know, the exact opposite response. Um, 
complete contrast with the, the leaders of the factions. Because this is what they were doing to him. He was responding exactly opposite. So we've gone through all these different uh, ways that, that Paul is, is suffering or being attacked. And we see his, his response. He responds um, according to God's grace and God's love to encourage, to, to help try to reconcile to try to encourage them um, is the way he responds. Now he ends verse 13 by basically talking about what his, where's his position in society, in the world. And he uses two phrases here. He says, we become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things. Scum and dregs. And these are synonyms and the commentaries both refer to, this is basically the crud you scrape off a dirty pot. <laughs> the dregs, the crud, you know. Ref, um, refuse. Re refuse, yeah. This is, and, I, and I, I'm thinking, in my mind I picture on my barbecue, the, in the bottom of the barbecue you got those greasy burnt drippings, <laughs> that crud in the bottom of the barbecue, yeah. Paul says, yep, that's what we are. Uh, we're the dregs, we're the scum. Um, and again, these, these two words, this is the only place they're used in the New Testament. Paul is, Paul is going and picking, you know, verse, th verse 13 has three words in it, this is, and, and they're the only places they're used in the whole New Testament. So he's, he's describing this, you know, what's going on with him and his position in the world by using words that he doesn't use anywhere else because, you know, everywhere else he's teaching believers, you know, you're, you're the children of God. You're glorified. You know, you're exalted. You're heirs. Of, why should he use these words? Um, if you, I can't remember if it's Greek or Latin, but um, the technical term is they're hapax legomena which means one use, you know, word used once. So if you ever hear that, I, I, I like it because it kind of, hapax legomena, yeah, it's two words, yeah. Uh, but their words, is, they're not used anywhere else in the New Testament. So, so he's, he's the scum of the earth, the dregs. And one of the commentaries, uh, I don't know how true this is or if it's just an uh, illustration, but they said that, you know, in pagan societies, when they needed to offer a human sacrifice to their gods, they would go out and find the most worthless, useless human being in their society and sacrifice him. And Paul's saying, yep, that's what, that's what we are. Um, we're the scum, of, we're the dregs of humanity. Um, now, again, personally, I think he's exaggerating here for, for the effect. Um, Remember what the, the leaders of the factions considered themselves to be? Back in verse 8, they were full, they were rich, they were kings. And then in verse 10, they're prudent and strong and distinguished. That's how they considered themselves. And Paul says, I'm the scum of the earth. But again, later in Corinthians, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
God's taken me from, from being the scum, from the ash heap, and set me on high. I think there's, there's an Old Testament passage that talks about being taken from the refuse heap and, and set up on high. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so he's, he's really drawing a, a, like a real black and white distinction here between the apostle and, the, and these uh, so-called spiritual leaders. Now he also says, uh, look at the beginning and the end of this, these three verses, 11, to this present hour, he says, and at the end of verse 13, even until now. So he says, this is continuous. This isn't something that just happened in the past. This is the way we, we've always been treated, you know, as we've taken the gospel out, we've been, had to go through all this, uh, all these difficulties and all this persecution. So going on, the next section, starting in verse 14, we have a, a change in, he's, he's still dealing with the same issue. But now in 14 through 16, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. So, you know, he said in verse 13 that when he was slandered, he tried to entreat or conciliate. And so that's what he's doing now. He's been slandered, and now he's trying to re respond to that. Um, and he's, he's really just blasted them with one of the, I think, most harsh, ridicule-filled passages in, in the Bible, at least in the New Testament. Um, you go to the Old Testament, and some of the messages God sent to the Israelites through the prophets were <laughs> just as bad or worse than this. But the point is they needed to be knocked down before they could be rebuilt. So he's got these arrogant spiritual leaders and they're, they're totally headed in the wrong direction. They've got completely wrong ideas about themselves. You know, and, and going back to chapter 3 where you know, it says, you know, Christ is the foundation. How do you build upon it? So they were saved. They had the proper foundation, but they'd been building with wood, hay, and straw. And, and Paul wants them to be rebuilt with you know, gold, silver, and precious stones, but first he's got to raise the shack down to the foundation and start over. So that's why you have this, this harshness here. Um, we have time. I, I want to look at the example of, of Jesus, where he is really tough. Let's go back to Matthew 23. And I was wondering, what part of this do we read? <laughs> I'm thinking, I just want, let's, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's a fairly long chapter. This is Jesus addressing the Pharisees. And we'll read the whole chapter, and let's think of it in terms of you know, what we were just talking about, Paul having to knock down these spiritual leaders in order to rebuild them. Where do you want to start? Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit at Moses' feet. I see, Moses' seat. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. 
They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and you have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter with that. What will you let those enter who are trying to? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mill and dent and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and <coughs> faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat for swallowing a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones, full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Philip and the nature of your fathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel 
to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Somehow we skipped over my favorite verse. Oh. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when you becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. <laughs> now, is Jesus speaking in love? No, not exactly. <laughs> there, yes, it is. I mean... Um, You can see that in the, at the end, th verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those. You know how I've longed to gather you beneath my wings, but you were unwilling. And he ends with a final call to repentance. You know, I say to you from now on, you shall not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If they would say that, then they will see him. He wants them to be restored. But he's dealing with these hard-headed religious hypocrites and they need, you know, we talk about hitting in the head with a two-by-four. These guys need to be shot with a howitzer. <laughs> I mean, they need to be blasted because they were so entrenched in their hypocrisy um, and their, their self-righteousness. Um, and you think back to the Old Testament, you know, we've, we've gone through the, a lot of the history you know, from, from 606 B.C. to 586 B.C., God sent Nebuchadnezzar against Jerusalem three times until he finally destroyed it completely. Was this done in love? Again, he, was, he wanted the Jews to repent and to follow him. And that was the only way that he could get... I mean, he does not... His purpose was not to destroy the Jewish nation. You know, he's promised them um, you know, his everlasting love. But they had become uh, so idolatrous and so hardened that that's what it took to break that, that evil spirit of their society so that they could be restored. And when they came back to the land, what did they do? <clears throat> they read the law. They, they, they yeah. They faltered. They built a temple. They had to get, got to send a couple of prophets to get them going again because they started and installed. You know, they weren't perfect, but they did not fall back into idolatry. The idolatry was over. You know, I mean, they had problems, but the idolatry was gone. God managed to cleanse them of that. Um, and that's how hard the human heart is. And so, you know, in our passage, uh, Paul has to just blast these people to try to break through that arrogance, that, that sinful attitudes that they had. His ultimate goal is in verse 16. I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. He wants them to walk as Christians ought to walk. 
But first he has to tear down everything they've constructed, scrape it back down to the foundation of the gospel of Christ, and then he'll start over with them. But they have to repent of, of their arrogance and their, their religious hypocrisy. Okay, so we've introduced verse 14, and uh, we need to stop there. So, uh, Brian, would you like to close for, for us this morning? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word and your teaching us how we should behave against the world when it persecutes and says bad things against us. We're not supposed to retaliate in the same way. We're supposed to show them love. And and it's a tough one to go against our natural nature, but we want to do it in your way. Please be with Pastor Robert in this next hour to come and let his lesson enter our hearts and minds and go with this for this next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>